All right, welcome to the Daniel Muggleton podcast. It's me, I'm Daniel Muggleton, I'm the guy. I'm sorry this week's episode is a day late, but I got a pretty good excuse. I reckon yesterday was my birthday. That's right, that's right. I'm recording the day after my birthday. I aged in Spain, uh, the first time that I've aged in Spain as far as I remember. Uh, And I thought I might... You know, let you know how the holiday's going. Uh, I've got some questions that people have asked me. Uh, just, you know, not necessarily birthday related, but just, you know, five questions uh, that people have asked me. I'm going to answer them. Uh, and of course, give you a little update on the tour of the UK that is going ahead next week. Or this week. Fuck, it's actually this week. It starts on Saturday, June 3rd. Uh, at the Monkey Barrel Comedy Club in Edinburgh. Um, I think it's just called Monkey Monkey Barrel. Ugh, first stumble of the pod in the intro. Tough start, rough start. Uh, I'm probably still reeling uh, from the way succession ended. No spoilers, just reeling. Uh, So, Monkey Barrel Comedy on June 3rd. That's where I start in Edinburgh. Then I snake my way down the country. I'm talking Glasgow, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Manchester, Liverpool, London, Cardiff, Bristol, Brighton. That's it. That's the lot. Uh, provided what I'm now learning is my fairly flimsy non-visa gets approved. But... Let's be positive. Go to www.danielmuggleton.com.au to book tickets. Let your UK mates know. Uh, But anyway, let's get into the pod. And to get us there, you know who it is. It's Verticoli. It's as I said. It's my. It was my birthday yesterday. Thirty-four. I. It's. It's very important to me that I don't become one of those celebrities whose age is ambiguous. I don't get it. Uh, I. That's like a thing, right? Like there are just some celebrities that you go to their Wikipedia. It's not there. Uh, it's. It's kind of like. It's never. It's never because they. They want to appear older than they are. It's always. It's always younger. Uh, but yes, 34, that is the age that I turned. Uh, I realized in the last year, uh, the only thing I actually learned how to do is cross my eyes. I think that's probably the only new skill I acquired. Never keep learning. But uh, the way that we celebrated that birthday is uh, I'm in Spain, uh, currently in Barcelona. Yeah, I, I say it. I say it without the hard C um, because I'm fucking cultured and that. I was trying to say thultured, but I thought <laughs> I thought that would just be far too uh, ambiguous to even land as a joke. Yeah, so I'm in I'm in Barcelona. My birthday. We uh, we travelled from this weird kind of beach place above Barcelona. Like, look, I don't know how interesting uh, accommodation chat is for me. I love it, like because. It's like just such a specific form of complaint, you know, about like where you're staying. Because as anyone who saw this year's show will know, used to be in the hostel, used to be in the motel. Now I can't afford a hotel. And thank God, because 34, that's a pretty reasonable age limit to be in the hotel. Uh, but yeah, we, we booked some interesting ones in the last couple of days just to save some goddamn cash. Uh, the one 
It was, it was, oh, what's it called? Playa del Rey? I think it was called. Oh, I don't, no, that's not it. That's just, I've just made up a fake Spanish beach sounding place. <laughs> I just like, you know, just like a Californian uh, kind of sports brand energy. That's, that's what I've brought to that. And I apologize. Cane uh, de, de Mar. Cane de Mar was where this hotel was. Fucking hell. Not even close. Playa del Rey. Jesus Christ, Dan. Uh, so that's where it was. And it was just this random beach. It was kind of equidistant from uh, Barcelona and the Dali Museum where we went. Um, but the reason that I love this hotel is because it's like right on the beach. It's like a beach view. It was like super cheap. Uh, but like the water is like right there. Like you open the balcony, which you can sit on. Whoa, that's freedom. Fuck you, America. That's what freedom actually looks like. A hotel balcony on a fourth floor that you can go out and sit on. Only in Europe uh, do they allow you such simple methods for self-harm. Come on, right? That's, that's fair. Like it is very rare to get out on a balcony in a hotel above a first floor in Australia. Very rare in America. Usually... I'm dealing with those hotels where they give you like the kind of train window size gap, you know, just like 10 centimeters of window that you can open if you just really want that fresh air to seep in slowly. Uh, but yeah, so this one is a balcony right there, water right there, sand all the way to the water with the view. I'm like, holy shit, how is this place so cheap? This is like a nice, like objectively nice hotel. This is where I wake up on birthday day. Uh, and then we realize... <laughs> There is a train line. I think I might even put a, a photo up on my socials just so people could really see this. It's like the, the parking lot, a train line, and then the beach. And we looked it up and to actually access the beach that you can see, that you, you know, if you could really cop a fall, you could probably take a running jump and land on the beach, like the sand, not the water, the sand. Like that's how close it is to the hotel balcony. To actually get there is a 25-minute walk. It is... One of the all-time catfishes I've ever experienced in terms of location, location, location. It's crazy. There's like, there's no tunnel. There's no bridge over this railway line. And then obviously, <laughs> from just like 6 or 7 a.m., there is trains fucking plowing through every 15 minutes. So, you know, the the what I thought was one of the all-time accommodation booking wins actually turned out to be a very reasonably priced hotel. But that's where we started. Went up to the Dali Museum. I've been driving in Spain, uh, which is wrong side of the road. I know, obviously, more countries drive on the right than the left, so that's quite a subjective statement. But no, nah, go fuck yourself. It's the wrong side of the road if you're driving on the right. And um, let's be honest, Spanish, Spanish driving compared to Australian driving is one of the all-time stressful experiences like i like the the merging just the the sheer the sheer craziness of spanish driving like i can't i really can't describe like cuz it's it's just so one thing that i do like they really seem to respect the overtaking lane versus the regular lane like generally I'm driving on these highways, three lanes. There's the truck lane, which is slow, like super, super slow. Uh, and then there's like the regular lane where you seem to go a regular speed. And then there's an overtaking lane, 
where I can only assume Germans in Mercedes just speed past you at such a fucking clip that you're like, I got to get the fuck out of this lane. Like there's none of that. In Australia, you see people just hanging in the overtaken lane like it's nothing. Here, it's like, hey, you're in that lane. There's my, my wife saying goodbye to me. She's, she's leaving. Apparently, she loves me. She's happy to spend my birthday with me, but uh, she's not going to listen to my podcast, even live. Even live, she's quite happy to give it a miss. I know that like she didn't make any noise during that, but you're just going to have to trust me that she was there. Um, but sorry, back to the Spanish roads. Yeah, like Mercedes in the overtaking lane going like 150, probably higher. Uh, I assume they're just Germans forgetting that they're not on a fucking autobahn. Uh, but then just the mer like, I don't know if like we're just pussies in Australia, but it seems in Spain, like you just merge into a lane. Like if you're slightly ahead of the car in front of you, you're just merging. Like there ain't like, oh, I'll make sure that I get in front of him a decent distance. I'll make sure that I'm not cutting him off with this merge. It's like, nah, bro, I'm coming in. You're behind me. It's on you to stop. <laughs> it's just the onus is on you. The onus is on you to be like, hey, let's avoid vehicular manslaughter. So fucking hit the brakes, champion. You're a pussy. I got this. Uh, so there's definitely that aspect of the driving in Spain. Also, just driving in Barcelona. Like, we, we, had, we like, missed a turn trying to drop off a car. So just, like, on La Rambla, which is, like, the, the main street, the high street of Barcelona, if you will. And, like, just going up that was one of the most excruciating experiences of my life. There's just scooters zipping in and out, bikes zipping in and out taxis trying to big dog you like but we got there no scratches on the car it was one of those ones where like fuck i wish i bought the insurance oh my god i'd have loved to scratch this motherfucker up and drop it off and not worry about it uh but no managed to get through it and then yeah settled in settled into barcelona the the dali museum was a good time um one thing that was funny is like it's a whole museum he kind of he designed it all himself. It's all containing his works. Uh, it's up in a town whose name I do not recall at the moment. But don't worry. There's a Dali Museum slash theater. And it's all him. And <laughs> actually, my favorite bit of the Dali Museum is they've got like an audio guide. But like, it's not that regular audio guide where it's like, hey, here's the number of every room. Find the guy that relates to that. It's just kind of like an introduction and then off you go. Um, but it's a SoundCloud file, which is amazingly cheap. Uh, not to not to you know generalize about the Spanish economy, but yeah, I think that's pretty fucking spot on. Uh, but yes, it's like an introduction, and then it's a SoundCloud. So my wife and I are sharing a pair of headphones, and then after the introduction, just like house music starts playing, and I'm like, "Is this like we must have we must have gone to the wrong thing? Do you want to double check?" And she's like, "Oh yeah, no, I think this is part." of the exhibit <laughs> oh, i hope you caught that that was her saying fuck you as she exited finally this time um but yeah like she just thought it was part of the exhibit so for like literally the first half an hour we're just going through with like a fucking solomon house mix playing like just like doof 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 kind of music and i'm like i, I really don't think this is the sanctioned audio guide 
of the gallery. And she's like, but maybe it's like, you know, it's Dali. He's like a surrealist. Like he wants you to kind of engage with the art. And he's not going to explain. He's just going to put music underneath it. Like there's just this kind of trance soundtrack to Dali's <laughs> portraits. And it took like 45 minutes for me to be like, Mary, I really think this is just SoundCloud. Like I really think this is just a free mix. Because like it wasn't great electronica to begin with. And yeah, she double checked it. And it was... <laughs> We're just listening to some mix, kind of bopping our way through the gallery. And look, I'll be honest, it wasn't bad. Like, I think in future, if, you know, there was more of a um, house music element to exhibits, like maybe like museums as well, just like a real a real juxtaposition between the, the old dinosaur bones and just some fucking dubstep. Like that, you know, that'd probably get the kids interested. That'd, that'd get the kids involved in the art. Um, but yes, what? I'm just trying to, I'm trying to take you through. Sorry, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out when I last spoke to you. Uh, that was, yes, just when I flown into London after the wedding. Uh, and then I was just in the UK for a couple of days doing some podcasts, Trash Future, Masters of Our Domain, uh, popping up to Manchester, flying out of there. Um, and then, yeah, it's been in Valencia. I don't know if that one's supposed to have the soft C. It's, it's all I got. I got no Spanish. And I get the shits with having no Spanish. Because, like, I've got little words here and there from the subtitles from American TV shows. You know, like, that's basically how I picked up my Spanish. They got a Spanish. Like, I know Tortuga because of Breaking Bad because they blew up the cartel guy who was called the Turtle. So I've got Tortuga. That's there. I've got like Donda Estela Biblioteca because of community, like the rap in Spanish. Like I got like, I think that's how Australians learn Spanish, right? Like we don't really interact with many Spanish people. Uh, it's not, it wasn't offered at my school. Like maybe it's offered at more schools now. So like really it is just the, you know, Spanish characters in American TV where you just pick up like Zoolander. Like, don't you know I'm loco? Like that's crazy. I got that. Or like four loco, it's like four times crazy. I got my math's pretty good. Like, so I just don't know any Spanish. Uh, Spanish people, where we've been. I mean, the English has been pretty bloody spot on. Let's be fair, it always is. Um, but there's definitely been a couple of times where they don't have much, and we're trying to Google Translate and do our best. And then you just kind of hear them as you walk, like they walk away, and they're kind of like, "Ugh, Americanos," which. Again, not being a Spanish expert, I'm pretty sure it means Americans. Um, and look, I didn't think this would annoy me because I don't consider myself a particularly patriotic Australian. That's not really my energy. But there, there is a thing with, you know, being assumed to be American and like, you know, I'm not leaning into the classic American stereotypes. Like, what, you think we're dumb, racist, and fat? And it's like, I'm all those things. Go fuck yourself. Uh, that's not it. It's like, the thing that bothers me with Spanish people assuming I'm American, or just like Europeans in general, let's be honest, is that like, but no, it's especially in Spain because I feel like most Americans have probably had significantly more access to the Spanish language than most Australians. So when they're calling us American, it's like, hey, you piece of shit. You should have learned some Spanish. You're probably going to run into some Spanish people in your life. Why have you not picked this up at all? Whereas I'm like, I never had 
the opportunity. Like Australia, very small, very small Spanish population. Um, as I said, not offered in school. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to put it out there. I don't think an Australian TV show has ever had a Spanish character. Like once. Like, you know, just like not one. Like I can't think of a single significant Spanish-speaking Australian. Like none. Like, yeah, genuinely none. I'm trying to... I'm Fuck, I'm really... There must be something at some point. I don't think so. I don't think the language is really ever spoken like in a commercially digestible form. Um, I don't know why our Spanish population is small. I guess like, because we have like obviously a lot of other European people, a lot of Portuguese uh, where, where I live in Stanmore um, and Petersham. But like, is it just, because like, I was thinking about this, like, Spain, Portugal, Australia, very similar climates. So, like, why would you leave? Whereas, like, we've got, you know, a lot of, lot of British people, obviously. The language thing and the completely different climate, that's a, that's a winner. Uh, I feel like we got a lot of Germans uh, as well, like quite a few Germans. I mean, they had something to get away from. Different climate again. A lot of Polish people, same. Um, whereas, like, the Spanish, it's like... We got this here. They don't speak the language, as I've just fucking proven. Like, why? Why would you? Why would you go to Australia? Like, what's in it for you? Not a not a great footballing nation. Like, I gotta say, that's like whenever you come to these European countries and you, I don't know, as like an Australian sports fan, I always lament the lack of success of the Socceroos. Like, why aren't we better at football? We put so much money into it. You know, we want to be good. We've been to so many World Cups. Like, why are we not competing at the same level as these European people? And then, like, I've seen basically every day here, I've seen a Spanish child slash teenager playing football with, like, a can of Coke, a rock, a live pigeon, like just, they're just kicking anything around, doing tri- like, you know, doing dribbling tricks, like proper technique stuff on the ball, just like, just in the street. Like they're, you know, they're waiting for their parents to do something and instead of like sitting there on a phone or a Game Boy or like, you know, fucking up, they're just, you know, just juggling a coffee cup, ceramic, high stakes, you know? And I'm like, yeah, we've got no fucking chance. <laughs> We have absolutely no chance. I've never seen that shit in Australia, like just, you know, dedicated football drills with any inanimate object available on like uneven cobblestone streets. Like they're fucking nailing that. No wonder they've got like a decent European level midfielder, right? Like we're never, we're never getting close to it. Um, But yeah, look, let's start, let's start for Valencia. Uh, never been to Valencia before. Never really had any read on Valencia. Uh, the all I'm doing coming out is orange juice. Very good. <laughs> Valencian oranges. Very good. Taste different. I didn't think orange juice could taste different. I thought it was it was orange flavored. But nah, these ones like there is a significant difference in taste, even between Barcelona and Valencia. Which are like fucking two hours away from each other. Like you can you can taste the difference. So if you get through Valencia, get the oranges. Uh, sandwich culture. 
Not really any to speak of. They call it a bocadillo. I know that much. Uh, but it tends to just be a bit of bread and then some ham or cheese or tomato or sometimes combined. Europe loves the one ingredient sandwich, which I get, I can appreciate, but it just it's just not hanging with the big boys of uh, the USA or the recent sandwich uptake in Australia. Uh, not nearly as disappointing. Fuck, I don't think I talked about that. Not nearly as disappointing as the goddamn London sandwiches. I went to two places as recommended by the fans. People got in touch being like, you got to check out this, you got to check out that. And by God, they were so mediocre. Like one of them was essentially like a mum and pop Subway. Like it was ingredients in the Bay Marie. Here's the kind of meats you could get. And I was like, I would like the chicken escalope because that seems to be what they do, which is basically just a schnitty. I don't know why they call it an escalope. I don't know if that's like the French thing and that is closer to France than Germany. So they fuck it, we'll call it that. We were part of the triple threat that won the world wars, brother. We're not calling it a schnitty. Fair enough. You do you. Um, but yeah, I, was, I, got, I got that because it was the most popular and it was like breaded chicken with Parma ham on it. And then that was it. Like I assumed there'd be like a, and what salads would you like with your sandwich, sir? Nah, bro. Two meats, white bread, sandwich. Just basically eating a cut into fours constipation special. No thanks. Like it was cheap. Don't get me wrong. It was cheap. It was like six quid, but... Like, to have this place be recommended. There was a queue. Like, this is like people were waiting for this shit. Like, yeah, just nah, no good. I'm not going to name and shame. That's not my vibe. Um, but yeah, just such a such a deeply disappointing sandwich. I was there with Bart Freeband for a bit of objectivity. Bart Freeband, hilarious Australian comedian who knows a thing or two about sandwiches. He's taken me around Melbourne a couple of times and uh, called an Adelaide Fringe show 10 Adelaide Bakery Secrets You Must Know. <laughs> which had nothing to do with bakery secrets. It was just a, a name to trick people like a, you know, fucking Buzzfeed headline. It was awesome. Very funny. Uh, yeah. He couldn't eat it. He had like one bite, like he had like one quarter, sorry. And was like, I'm, I'm done, bro. This is no good. And then we went to another one, which did basically like a London version of the European sandwich, like, you know, big, thick bread, minimal meat. The bread, obviously a bit stale cause they probably shipped it in from Valencia the night before. Um, yeah, just so, so, so middling, so middling. And this is what people have recommended. This is what people who live in the UK, like you got to go here. You can't miss this place. Um, I've got a few more on the list, but if you do know, please send them in, get in touch. Dan at danielmuggleton.com.au for your UK sandwich recommendations. I got what I reckon is a sure thing for Edinburgh. Uh, but I'd love something for Glasgow, Newcastle upon Tyne. Someone told me I've got to go direct to a butcher and order something, which is the kind of, you know, bespoke parochial shit that gets my dick hard and my pussy wet. Damn. Very exciting for that. Um, so, yeah, Valencia. That's what, we, what are we doing in Valencia? I was like a big, like, art center. Um, it was, like, really interesting architecturally. Uh, that was cool. Uh, walked around that for a while. Went to a beach. And like all European beaches, it was a piece of shit. Like I've, I've yet, genuinely, I've yet to encounter a European beach that holds a candle to an Australian beach. I don't know. In the same way, 
that I think the Spanish look at Australia and be like, yeah, man, we pretty much, we pretty much got all that here. Why would I bother doing it there? That's European beaches to me. Like, there's never really any surf to speak of. Uh, they're always crowded. They got that fucking cabana chair thing, and they're just. Yeah, there's just never anything inviting about them. We walked down, we checked it out, and we're like, eh, I think I'll give it a miss. Um, yeah, that was that was Valencia. Nothing. Oh, I went to a, went to a uh, restaurant which had a pastrami sandwich. It was like by uh, the most kind of famous chef in Valencia. He's got like a bunch of different places, like the kind of Michelin star degustation-y thing. This was like the, you know, bistro... Uh, fusion cuisine type deal. 20 euros I paid for a pastrami sandwich. It was the most expensive thing on the menu and I got it and it, again, just so fine. Like it wasn't terrible, but just like so fine. And I was like, 20 euros for this? That's like 30 Australian for a fucking sandwich to polish off what was otherwise like an incredible meal. And it was like a main in a restaurant and it's like 11.30 p.m. because it's Spain and they operate on, let's be honest, a significantly better system in terms of time. I don't know why Australians still, you know, rely on the sun slash the agricultural industry to tell them when to do things. We live in the fucking city, mate. You haven't seen a cow in the last year. Who cares? Uh, Spain crushes it. It's like, hey... Roll out of bed at like 10 or 11 a.m. Have a little break in the afternoon at about 4. Uh, shops open again till 8 p.m. Restaurants serving food on the regular on a Monday until 11, 11.30 p.m. Whew! Tell me more. That's all, that's all I want. I just want late night dining options and the ability to get a decent coffee and sit in after 3 p.m. Is that too much to ask, Australia? Seriously, what is so good about 6 a.m.? Why do all you cunts insist on being up and about at 6 a.m.? It kills me. Um, anyway, maybe I should move here. Learn the language. Habla espanol. Bit of that. Why not? Um, all right, so that's that was Valencia covered. Been in Barcelona for a little bit. Uh, did a did a gig in in Barcelona um, on the on the night of my birthday. I think that's that's like uh, <laughs> a consistent theme in my life. When it's my birthday, I do like to do comedy. Like I know that I probably complain about comedy, and I think you know all the shit around the industry itself is really stupid. Like the Edinburgh uh, Fringe Festival today. Two months out from the festival, one of the most expensive it's ever been, the amount people are paying in accommodation, cost of living crisis, all that shit, have just announced today there's going to be no Edinburgh Comedy Awards unless they can find new backing. When everyone's already signed up, surely this is information they've been aware of since the end of last year's festival. But just like the fucking app the year before, they wait till they get everybody's money and then... And then they're like, oh, whoops-a-daisy. I know some of you were coming because of this specific aspect, but mm, yeah, it's gone. Sorry, too bad. Like, I don't care about the awards, obviously. That's not really the type of comedy I'm trying to put out there. But I know for people who are going for like best newcomer, which can really be a career, you know, like 
a career milestone. No, a milestone is the wrong word. Like this thing can jumpstart your career. This thing can put you on a path. This is the kind of thing where it is not uncommon for people chasing just the best newcomer nomination. They'll spend like literally 10,000 pounds on, you know, venue, production, street team, whatever, not even including accommodation. Like that's 10,000 on that. And even if they sold out every single ticket of their run, they would still lose money on it because they're making an investment in their future career as a result of getting nominated for this thing. And those motherfuckers have paid those costs up front. And now the festival's just pulling the rug out from under them. And they're fucked. Like, I'm sure there'll be a thing. Someone will jump in. But it's just, ugh. It's disappointing. It is just disappointing, isn't it? Just every arts festival, say it with me, is a scam. Um, but I will be appearing at the Edinburgh Fringe <laughs> this August doing the free fringe because nobody can fuck with your money if the punters are putting it directly into a bucket that you're holding. Oh, that's right. That's right. It is a much better system. It's a little bit lo-fi. It's a little bit beggy. But hey, I prefer it that way. All right, that was the little that was a little update, you know, where I'm at, how's it all going? Uh I can't believe during that whole thing I forgot to mention two things. A that we drove through a town, stopped, had lunch, and it was called Penis Cola. That's the name of the town. This is one of my absolute favorite things in the world. Yeah, it's got one of those little squiggly things above the end. So I think that means technically it's called Penis Cola. But I don't give a fuck. It'll be Penis Cola in my heart forever. I got signed. I've never in my life got a photo with a town name. Like, you know, that kind of big font thing they do where like the town name is spelled out in like big kind of Helvetica letters. And you get, oh, it's usually Times New Roman to be fair. Uh, and like you get the photo with it being like, I've been here, fuck, like it, cool. Like, Penis Cola, I was like, fuck yeah. I, I asked for multiple photos. Mary was shocked. Mary's never seen my excitement. Penis Cola, that, that's just what it looks like. I'm sorry, it is Penis Cola. And it's it's up there with the funniest town names I've ever seen. I would, I would struggle. I know there's like fucking in like Austria or whatever the hell. But like, this one... I don't know. There's just something so innocent about penis cola, which obviously if anybody ever offers you penis cola, there's nothing innocent about that at all. He's a creep. Punch him in the dick. But penis cola, penis cola. It's it's this town of like ancient ruins where they filmed some Game of Thrones stuff. Marine in Game of Thrones is set in penis cola. That means in a Game of Thrones credit, they're like, thank you for the residents of penis cola. Oh, it just keeps going. It's good stuff. Uh, and the second thing, I was talking about a con, but I got sidetracked. At one point, this podcast will have structure. I promise you that. Um, but I got sidetracked about the Acom thing because also the, the Barcelona accommodation, um, two things about it. Uh, Spanish doors turn over and over and over. Like it's, it's like a fucking tumble dryer to get in and out of these things. And I just don't know what it's doing. Like I'm, I'm no expert on locks. Uh, I'm no expert on anything that requires tools or mechanical reasoning. But generally, my understanding of a lock is you turn it in the direction 
of the bit that's affixed to the other side of the door, it will lock. And you turn it away from that, it will open. Uh, you generally have to turn a lock around like, well, like twice, like maximum. Usually just once. It's like, hey, it's sitting there ready to go. You turn it. The mechanism clicks in. The door's locked. Done. This, this, These doors in Spain, you, you turn in any direction to open or shut, I would say four to five times, just around and around and around. And like, I don't hear any mechanism moving. Like, I don't think it's like the initial thing. And then there's like another thing, like, and then another thing, like, you know, like it's a, it's a thin little lock initially. And there's like a fatter lock that envelops the thin lock. And then an even fatter lock that envelops that lock. And then like two other locks on either side, like some kind of weird reverse babushka style scenario. You just keep spinning it and then eventually it stops. And then you, when you open it, you're fucking spinning it again. And it seems to do nothing. Why? How much time do these people have? <laughs> Anyway, that was number one. Uh, that's been every lock I've encountered in Spain. So there you go. If 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 you, you know, I'd love, I'm sure it must be a thing. Someone will know. That's my favorite thing about this podcast. I'll say something ignorant and ill-informed and, you know, I'm quite happy to leave it that way. And then someone will get in touch being like, well, actually, Daniel, Spanish locks are the most secure in the world. And I learn something. Like, I don't retain the knowledge, just like I don't retain place names. But, you know, it's nice to know that we're all making progress together. Uh, and the second thing, the second thing is I'm traveling with my wife. As I said, uh, we, we stay, we're staying in a hotel. Um, and it's look, Europeans seem to have interesting views of what constitutes a large bed or a small bed. Now I'm not saying, I'm not saying width. I'm not saying length. I'm just saying that sometimes in Europe, when you get a queen bed or a king bed, they will give you a two single dunas and two single sheets so like it's kind of like one big table but like two settings you know whereas i would say these these goddamn anglo-saxon beds uh to which i've grown accustomed it is a queen bed with a queen duna and a queen sheet and everybody just gets under the same sheet it's like you know a two-person tent versus two one-person tents if that makes sense visually um but this this hotel room currently in Barcelona is one that has just two single beds pushed together and that's the double bed. If you if you try to get anything happening, you know, it's my birthday. I, I felt I felt like I might try my luck. Um, you just fall in the gap. There's just a big fucking gap. I'm sitting on it right now. I'm sitting in between the gap recording this podcast. Um and I just don't know if you can complain. Like, I feel like you should be able to complain. Like, I feel like when you are staying in what is essentially a double room, two beds pushed together isn't acceptable. But then we've been sticky beacon uh, around the corridors and every room seems to just be two beds pushed together. Now, I don't know... If this is just a flexibility thing, it's like, hey, we don't know what kind of travel setup you got. If you're a couple, obviously push the beds together. If you're two singles, separate the beds with a gap. But I just, I don't like it. I don't like it. My wife likes it. And that makes me like it even less. <laughs> this has been a thing that we've we've said in our relationship previously. She's like, oh, 
one day we could have separate beds, you know, like you sleep different hours to me. We could sleep separately. And I'm like, no, I don't want that. I think, I think a huge part of the relationship contract is sharing one bed. I think two beds is the slippery slope towards other kinds of separation. You know, we're in this thing together from dawn till not till dusk, till dawn again. That's a 24 hour cycle, isn't it? Fuck smooth. The use of the English language there, Daniel. But yeah, like, is that, am I, am I being needy? I am a needy person. I'll, I'll admit that a hundred percent, uh, needy emotionally, but I just like, I get the his and hers sinks. I totally get that because we've got one sink at home and my wife's always boxing me out of the sink. She's, she's doing some NBA Dennis Rodman rebounding shit, getting her ass out, getting her hands out, holding me away. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get in there to, to, to spit the the toothpaste and she's brushing her hair and doing another thing like I, I get the his and hers sinks i feel like men and women utilize sinks very differently and i'm happy to do that in a more efficient format but with the bed like i do get that she works significantly different hours to me but i just even if it's in the same room i feel like the separate bed no good like maybe you know, when you're, when you're old and the relationship is weathered and the, the sight of each other is, is difficult, let alone, you know, the contrasting heat preferences and, you know, arthritis. I, I don't really understand aging. But I feel like in that instance, a separate bed is just practical and like maybe you could move towards it. But even then, I think no. I think you just got to stick it out in the same bed I've I've never I've never heard of people moving an aspect of their life further apart and them being closer together than ever before. It just seems just seems counterintuitive. I bring that up obviously so everyone can get in touch and be like, "Damn, we agree with you 100% there, mate. You're not being needy. Fuck the bed gap. Fuck the two singles. You're in it together. You're spooning." It's on. I don't care if it causes your shoulder pain, which it has in the past. Nice. All right. Let's get into these birthday questions. Uh, these were submitted by some of the regular listeners of uh, the Ask Us Everything show. No, they're not even listeners. They're watchers, viewers. Uh, the weekly show I do on Zoom with Steve Hofstetter, uh, which I had to cancel because just with this time zone in Barcelona, I couldn't get it done. So I was like, hey, look. You guys like asking me questions. It's called Ask Us Everything. Why don't you ask Dan everything? Uh, so I just thought I got five questions from that that I'd answer um, for you guys on this podcast. And, you know, maybe maybe that'll be a nice way to, to end my little birthday. So first question, birthday related from Israel Picker. Uh, what is your ideal birthday? Um, as I, as I kind of hinted at previously, I think doing a show, I like doing a show on my birthday. Um, my last two birthdays I've actually spent overseas. That's not something I'm particularly into. Like, I know that people like to go away for their birthday. Chicks obviously do the, the birthday weekend. That seems, that, that seems to be like women are treating birthdays like weddings. Let's spread it out. It used to just be Saturday. Nah, fuck it. Let's add a Friday and a Sunday event as well. Uh, or you can go uh, the whole hog. And to be honest... I appreciate anyone who pulls this just for the planning aspect and for the confidence. The people are going to want to see you uh, when they do the, the, the festival 
let's let's just say the festival of dan we'll use my birthday as the example and it's almost like a month-long event t-shirts are made up it's a it's a fucking commitment you know it's like a mini summer olympics uh going on um i'm not about that i'm not a big birthday guy in general i think last year i was at a comedy club in dallas and uh it was my birthday and i told the other comedians at like 11:50 after the show <laughs> because i was just like hey we're gonna get a drink right and they're like oh, i don't know and i'm like it's actually my birthday so we just get a drink and they're like oh fuck all right i guess we have to now um that's how you use it manipulatively that's the way to use a birthday but yeah um i just like a, i just like a slow day uh i, I don't like to have anything i kind of need to do uh i don't really count doing gigs as that like the the barcelona thing was like we had to drive in park kind of find the place it was all a bit of a rush because uh, we were staying out in uh, that beach whose name I refused to learn uh, with the railroad tracks. So like it was actually quite an effort to get to the gig, but I just felt so kind of calm and, and, and I enjoyed it. I just, I like being on stage, like not in the way where some people just fucking need it, but you know, that I just find it a very enjoyable way to learn about a town as well, you know? Um, like you just kind of, it's kind of like that scene in, uh, A Clockwork Orange where he's got the eyes just fucking ripped open and they're just giving him all the information. Um, that actually makes it sound like a really horrific experience. Let's go to the Matrix where Neo learns Kung Fu. <laughs> I just realized there's two very distinct schools of downloading information, one traumatic and the other informative. This is definitely informative. Um, you just kind of get to talk to a group of people at once and i think that gives you a bit of a read on the place uh which which i quite like um so yeah just uh like yesterday i had i would say almost my ideal birthday i was hanging out with my my wife uh we didn't have to really see anybody else um didn't really have to do anything at all we could just you know make our way down to barcelona check into the hotel i uh, went to the dali museum which was nice we got uh, McDonald's at some like crazy Spanish mall type scenario. Like it was kind of kind of like a shopping center, but also like a strip mall. It had the biggest sex toy shop I've ever seen. I didn't go in, but I can only assume the dildos were fucking massive to justify the height of those ceilings. Uh, yeah, like uh, and I, I love that, by the way. So that's like my favorite thing is like eating fast food in countries known for their cuisine because a it pisses off fucking everybody because <laughs> they're like why would you waste a meal on this fast food and it's like the reason is a obviously to piss you off like i thoroughly enjoyed doing that uh we did kfc in italy we've now done mcdonald's in spain and i'm pretty excited for burger king in france but uh also it's just it's fun to compare like it's fun to see like you know the the different things that each place will offer because it's obviously the standard menu but then like they kind of put their local twist on it based on the taste of the place so it's a it's a weirdly accurate way to assess what a place is all about and i'll be honest the 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 spanish uh rendition of mcdonald's was they have the McExtreme range. I think you could have just gone with McStream, but, you know, why not? McExtreme was the range, and basically that meant that 
There was like the cheeseburger, the quarter pounder, and then the extreme size, which I think was just a half pound of meat. <laughs> it looked fucking epic. I didn't get one because uh, I was like, I'm I'm too old. I'm too old to put that through my stomach after a you know week of coffee and white bread and cured meats. Uh, that's that's too much for me to deal with. Uh, you know, I'm sharing a bathroom with my wife. Uh, bathrooms of varying distances from the single or twin beds. Uh, so you can't be too careful. But um, the Mega Stream had like two of those half pound patties. So that's just a pound of meat and then a fucking egg on it uh, with, with barbecue bourbon sauce. I was like, this does not speak to the character of the Spanish people at all, as far as I'm aware. But fuck me, maybe they're, maybe they're freaky when the lights are off. That would explain the size of the sex shop. Uh, and the other thing is they serve beer, which is always kind of fun. And McDonald's doing beer. And we got some nuggets as well. And they seem to have like more kind of spice in the nuggets than we have in Australia. Like the, the, the breaded, like was, it seemed to have a bit more like pepper in it, which was, which was interesting. And they didn't have sweet and sour sauce. And I was like, you're out of your goddamn mind. Sweet and sour is what this country is built on. Well, Australia, obviously. Spain, you know, was probably built on colonialism, like all the, all the classics. Um, I was going to say all the greats. Got to be careful. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was lovely. And then just, yeah, just had like a meal, had a drink and got a kebab as well. Fuck, I am scum, aren't I? Every, every now and again, I think like, oh, you're a man of culture. You went to the Dali Museum. And then you're like, Dan, you ate McDonald's and a kebab in the same day when you turned 34. Jesus Christ, your colon is going to tap out at 40. Um, but anyway, so that was, yeah, that was just a perfect day. Just hanging out, nothing to do in particular, doing the gig. Love that. Uh, all right. Worst sandwich I've eaten to date and why? That's from Kate Dedrick. Um, I'll be honest, that first London one, when it was cut into four pieces and it was just the breaded chicken and the Parma ham and like, I'm going to say no sauce. Like, but that airport one, fuck, we left Sydney. Chucked that on the gram as well, didn't I? People were disgusted. Like, that was more engagement than most post <laughs> Just people being utterly shocked at the bread-to-meat ratio of this Sydney airport sandwich. Um, I think they all kind of fall into the same category, which is like, if everything in your sandwich is basically the same color, that's concerning. Like, it's like when that bread and like the meat and like any kind of, like there's slight variations, like almost like tints, but when it's basically the same color and you're just looking at it like, you know, like a three-ply cardboard kind of edible thing, um, that's when you that's when you know you fucked it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's the thing. It, because I've obviously eaten worse sandwiches than that, than that London one. Like it was fine. Like you got through it, everything was okay. But... Like, you know, I'll eat a pret sandwich or even like a Tesco kind of meal deal sandwich. These are these shit kind of packaged sandwiches that you get in the UK that honestly uh, sustain British life far more than vitamin D. Um, that's the one you get from the sun for anyone playing at home. But like, yeah, like I, those I think are objectively worse sandwiches, but there's absolutely no hope when you order a bite into them. That is, you know, just fuel to keep you moving. Uh, to make your journey on the mega bus seem shorter, even though it remains the exact same length. But like when there's like, hey, 
We specialize in this. This is a favorite. There's a cue. And you just get given a sandwich with three ingredients that look exactly the same. You're just so sad because you can't not eat it. But you you know that every portion, because it was cut into four as well. Yeah, fuck, that was a disappointing sandwich. Like, it was cut into four. So instead of when it's like one whole shit thing or even two half shit things, when it's four quarters of one shit thing and you know every quarter is going to be identically shit, but you refuse to, you know, not eat it because that just seems wasteful. Ugh, that's a shit sandwich. It's a shit sandwich. <laughs> the expression, applying literally. Beautiful. Um, all right. Third question. If it wasn't a flamingo, what animal would it be? Kathy Wood. All right. So the background on this is uh, first things first, a warning. If you ever express an unusual opinion on the internet to people who are fans of yours, they will continue to bring it up. They are, they are like your mates. And if you do something embarrassing in front of your mates, it could be 5, 10, 15 years ago. They will reference that memory as if it was yesterday. Uh, and on Ask Us Everything, very early on in the show, one of the questions was, what was the sexiest... Oh, sorry, what is the sexiest animal? And I answered immediately, the flamingo, because obviously that's the correct answer. I think a flamingo, as far as animals go, uh, nice, nice, long, elegant neck, pink, uh, lovely kind of feminine pink, uh, the long, elegant beak, and, and, and they can fly. That's, that's pretty hectic. I'm not a huge fan of the legs, but the fact they stand on one, that's quite elegant as well. I think it makes them seem quite fancy. Um, so I said that uh, in 2020, in the midst of a pandemic, where you're like, is the world ever going to get back to normal? Uh, it did, but people still send me uh, photos, GIFs, uh, actual fluffy flamingos in the post. I've got like three or four, three, between three and six flamingo pieces of paraphernalia. One's a soft toy. One's a giant inflatable flamingo. One's a necklace with a flamingo on it with like kind of, you know, uh, pinkish little uh, stones on it. Um, I've got a couple of t-shirts with flamingos on them. Like, I've got a lot of flamingo merch. Just because I wanted to fuck one in 2020 when like when the world's ending, hey, fuck a African bird. Why not? Why not give it a bash? Um, and yeah, so that's just kind of stuck with me. That's the background. So I would just warn you, if you're going to do that, even just around your mates, if you're planning on staying friends with them for a long period of time, you know, get, get, some, get some PR on your answers. Uh, get, some, get some media training before you dive in there and suddenly... You know, after shows, people are handing you flamingo inflatable coasters and nobody else knows why. And they wonder if they should do it next time and then they do and the fucking thing just keeps going, doesn't it? But uh, if it wasn't the flamingo, what would it be? What would the, what's, the, what's the silver medal of the sexiest animal? Because let's be honest, my hands are tired. I've got to stand by the flamingo at this point. Um, sexiest animal. The second sexiest animal. Mmm, like, there's, there's obviously, because I've been sent this because they're somewhat similar, there's the secretary bird. The secretary bird somewhat resembles the flamingo with the long legs. It's got eyelashes, like kind of quite, like, 
I, I don't want to keep overusing the word elegant, but just like quite beautiful eyelashes, like very kind of human eyelashes. Because I think, I mean, I don't want, I don't want this to be, <laughs> I don't want this to be a controversial point, but I think when deciding what is the sexiest animal, um, the the abundance of human qualities is probably a tick. You know, like it's probably like a, hey, the more human the animal is, the sexier you find it. Because I don't know about you guys, but personally, I find humans quite sexy. So the the animal that most closely resembles a human is probably the animal I find sexiest. I'm not actually looking for just a really fucking animal looking thing because that's what I've wanted to fuck secretly all along. Uh, <laughs> it's such a bizarre question. When you think about it, because it was asked innocently, but then I've just kind of gone on about it and described in graphic detail how I'd do it. And let's be honest, nobody wants to hear that. Uh, but it is a funny thing to do. Um, I don't know. I don't know. The sec- like, is it weird to say a dolphin? Like, again, I, I know it's a bit of a stretch to suggest that dolphins have very human-like qualities. But... And, and, and I want to make this very clear. At no point am I suggesting it's because of, you know, um, visible holes. I think that, I think that uh, is quite crass and I, I won't have those words put in my mouth. Um, the reason is because like, they're quite sleek and happy and that's kind of fun. But also the thing about the dolphin is that it has sex for pleasure. So that would imply that there's a possible world in which the dolphin would enjoy having sex with me. And, like, obviously, that's kind of taking the which is the sexiest animal to quite a practical location um, because it could just, could just be something I find sexy, not something that I'm actively going to try and have sex with. Oh, God, I've done it again, haven't I? I'm going to start getting fucking DVDs of the movie Flipper. Oh, jeez. Um, but, look, I'm going with Dolphin. Why not? Why not? I can't believe I've talked about this in depth on another fucking medium my god uh question four from hannah yamea uh if you were a piece of toast what would you want spread on you Ooh, that's a that's a fun question um just just especially imagining just how fucking white i'd be as bread i think wonder white would be like man that motherfucker is pale uh look what would I like spread on me? I think I'd want something... I think it's not about really the taste of what you want spread on you. Um, because, I mean, if anything, as a piece of toast, you want something really disgusting spread on you so people don't eat you. So, you know, you have a longer life cycle as a piece of toast. Like, you know, one of those really kind of crazy... Nordic things where it's like, yeah, pickled sardine spread on you. Or is it cod? What do they have? Herring. I think it's herring, actually. Pickled herring just like spread on you. Or just like, you know, let's be honest, human shit would probably uh, prevent you from being eaten. But I don't want shit spread on me, uh, even as a life-preserving option. I think, I think I'd probably want to go, because like, as an Australian, you'd expect probably avocado. Uh, avocado on toast, the impediment uh, for young people buying a house. Why not do that? Um, it's always good to be a part of, you know, the economic cycle. Um, but I, I think probably 
peanut butter. That's what, in my head, peanut butter, it's just like a very smooth condiment, you know? Like when you're spreading peanut butter, it's never a struggle. It's never like butter where like you got to kind of force it in, ripping the toast open potentially. Peanut butter, very smooth spread. You get a nice even coverage. And like, yes, I do. I do assume that a lot of people like peanut butter, so it would lead to more of a chance of me being eaten. But perchance, this is a piece of toast owned by someone with a peanut allergy. So I would be safe, or at the very least, I could take them with me. You know, always good to go down swinging. And final question, what is a popular Australian urban legend that Americans know nothing about? Uh, Well, obviously, it's that Kylie Minogue has a sister who's also a celebrity. (laughs) Why not? Little dig at Danny Minogue to kick things off. No, um, urban legends in Australia, I mean... You wouldn't really call the Harold Holt thing an urban legend. That was just the prime minister who disappeared. I mean, I I guess the Americans wouldn't be aware of the idea that it was the Russians with a submarine who took him because of, you know, his ties to America in the Vietnam War. Uh, An urban, like there's like Yowies and Bunyips and stuff, like our kind of versions of Bigfoot. I think every culture has some kind of Bigfoot because at some at some point you've seen a big cunt running through the woods and you didn't really know how to explain it. So you're like, well, there must be some creature, not just some huge unit who's, you know, particularly hairy. Um, urban legends in Australia. Like, I mean, there's the stuff that we spin uh, on American and let's be honest, all tourists, like the drop bears and the hoop snakes and, you know, basically just fake Australian wildlife uh that will that will injure them to scare them um and obviously by a fake australian wildlife i mean incredibly real australian wildlife if you go camping one or two man tents should be aware of the drop bear uh but do take a bundy rum uh just in case uh that does tend to ward them off urban legends australian urban legends again like i'm thinking about things that have happened in australia that you know you might not be aware of, like the emu war, like that we g- legitimately lost the war with emus. Uh, that was That's a real Australian thing. Um, oh, is there... I'm trying to... I'm trying to... I'm trying to think um, that Hugh Jackman's straight. No. <laughs> uh, urban legends. Urban legends in Australia. Like, we're just... We're not a particularly urban country, probably suburban more than anything. And I don't think we have anything. I genuinely, like, I, I read this question and I asked my wife and she couldn't think of anything either. And I was racking my brain to just, like, come up with something because, you know, what is worse when doing a five-question segment to not be able to pose an answer to 20% of the questions? And I genuinely have nothing. And I apologize so much to Jack Dostal who had that question. Um, I'll do some research. I'll ask around. But yeah, I just, I can't, I can't think of anything. To <sighs> urban legend. No, there's just, there's nothing, there's nothing that comes to mind. I was thinking about lies that we tell people again. 
And like, you know, obviously there's the hoop snakes and the drop bears. I was thinking potentially like, you know, you can't, you can't swim for 30 minutes after you eat. But I think it's a global thing. I don't think that's Australian, that, but it's a lie. Like you absolutely can. It's just Australian parents want to have a sit down before they take their kids in the water again. Um, mm, yeah, that's, that's, all, that's all I got. But just on a quick Australia-America thing, um, I definitely, like the, the gun thing, I know that, you know, everyone bangs on about it between America and other countries that you guys have too many guns. But Australia really has very few guns. Like, I don't think I realized how kind of gun-free uh, we are until when I was in Spain, like where I am currently, we just went to a mall. <coughs> Not the sex shop, get your mind out of the gutter, but just like an actual mall where, you know, it's in the middle of a city. It's like multi-level, men's fashion, women's fashion, kids, entertainment. Just a classic department store. That's what I'm looking for, department store. Um... And on the same level as the Adidas section, which is obviously why I was in the store to begin with, there was just guns for sale, like in the, in the shopping center, like over there, it's like, Hey, do you want changing room? Try that on. That hat looks good on you over here. Rifles, just 10 rifles ready to go with hunting gear. Like somebody has come to Valencia planning to go hunting but absolutely forgotten all of their equipment in one of the all-time packing fuck-ups. And so they're just popping down to the local store, get yourself a rifle. Like, I just... Do you, do you walk out with it? Like, I don't know if I could see bullets for sale. Maybe just the guns. I did not. I assume bullets are kind of like cigarettes. I like kept below the counter. Um, so they don't seem too cool. But yeah, it was just... It was a very bizarre thing to see as an Australian. Just like, I'm going to say 10 to 15 rifles just on a display right behind glass. They're not, they're not savages. Um, but you could just buy and then I, I assume you can just walk out with them. Like, surely it's not you can buy them there and they have to send them to you or something. You can just buy a rifle. And I've never really heard of... Um, a particular shooting epidemic in Spain. Like I've never really heard of any famous Spanish shootings. So yeah, I just, it was weird. It was very, very unsettling. Like I genuinely was like, Ooh, I hate seeing that. Um, but yeah, I was just, I was very thrown. I thought it was a very American thing. It was only rifles. There was no handguns. It was only like the big, big guns. Um, but yeah, it was just no good. I didn't, I didn't like it. No bueno. Is that right? <laughs> All right. I hope you enjoyed this week's uh, semi-late, but justifiably, justifiably late installment of the Daniel Muggleton podcast. Uh, next episode will be coming to you from the road in the UK. I'm excited to let you know how the shows are going. I'm excited to update you on the UK. It, look, I'll be honest. I've been watching it unfold on Twitter from afar and the country's fucked, it's all over. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's just everybody talking about their country. I don't think anybody likes where they come from slash their sitting government. Uh, but then that Edinburgh show that I was talking about at the top already had the train cancelled for that. <laughs> I had one train, like I'm hiring a car just because I've heard about the train strikes and the cost of living and blah, blah, blah. And the one train I booked has already been cancelled uh, and like 
it's not cancelled in a way where it's like, oh yeah, we'll just chuck you on the next one, no dramas. It's like, hey, so that's cancelled. Now it's on you to find another train. If there's any difference in the fair amount, we will charge that to you. Or you can catch a fucking plane half an hour. I swear to God, London to Edinburgh as a flight is like 30 minutes airtime. Like you could barely watch a 90s American sitcom from start to finish between takeoff and landing. And that's how I've got to get to Edinburgh now. One from one. So I dare say there might be a few more things that happen on the tour that you guys might like to hear about. But uh, as always, thank you for listening. I do really appreciate it. If you did enjoy it, jump across to your favorite listening platform, whether that be Apple Podcasts or Spotify and chuck us a cheeky five-star review. All that stuff does matter and help. And now that's it. I'm going to go enjoy Barcelona uh, and to and to help you enjoy your week. You know who it is. Getting us out of here. It's Vertical. It's not-